0: Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast. Your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all
1: things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain,
2: why wouldn't you just record as much as you could?
3: Player, oh,
0: yeah. it's just like a storage house of ideas. Toe oh Jam.
2: Either version,
1: I love both versions. Special Hi, this is Larry Graham. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Ricky Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. What's happening, in Australia? This is Tony M. from the New Power Generation, listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey,
3: everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast.
0: This is Eden Nelson and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast.
1: Hello, hello, hello and welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast. We are all gathered here again to talk Prince and Prince music. Before we go into all that good stuff about what this show is about, let me introduce the panel. Toe Jam. Gossip again, ho-hum. Captain. (laughs) We are here, where are you? And Player. I love y'all, don't ever mess with me no more. (laughs) (laughs) And it's me, Rob S, in the place to be, of course, the Peach and Black podcast. In the company of my fellow Australian Prince fans. Okay, let's get straight into it. We're here to talk about something that we don't really do that often. You know, we're known for album reviews. We're known for concert experience reviews and and news and views and all that sort of stuff, interviews. But we have seldom spoken about what we're going to talk about today, which is basically one-off songs that Prince recorded and Before everyone gets their knickers in a twist, as we like to say down under, uh, let me just slightly explain what we're here to do, and then Captain will maybe expound on that a little more. So basically, we've done a couple of episodes many, many years ago where we reviewed B-sides. And for anyone who doesn't know what a B-side is, back in the 80s in particular, Prince was known for putting together albums and he had plenty of, you know, hit music on the charts at that time and all that kind of stuff. But then he would put these B-sides, so songs that didn't make full-length albums, onto singles and onto compilation releases like the Hits and the B-sides compilation from 1993. And, uh, you know, it was just, something that he had to do because he couldn't contain the amount of music that he was recording and producing, not only for himself, but also for other artists. He just had too much material, and so he had to get it out there. And so when this B-side area ended kind of in the, I want to say the mid-90s pretty much was, I think, the end of the B-side era for Prince, he continued releasing other songs as one-offs, especially when... It was the era of Napster in the late 90s and file sharing systems. The internet. Yeah, he started putting songs on the internet and often it was just a song here and a song there. He would still come up with albums, obviously, every a few years or so, but in between albums and sometimes while he was releasing full-length albums and records, he would still release music in a digital format and sometimes even CD singles and all the rest of it. So the whole idea is, you know, Prince can't be contained by just his album tracks. So here we are gathered here today to talk about one-off pieces of music that he released across his career. So, yeah, we've still got – there's still B-sides that we haven't reviewed yet
2: and there's a load of one-off tracks that we're going to talk about. So instead of trying to exactly classify what each track was – We're just going to do them all as non-album tracks, whether it's internet stream, digital downloads, soundtrack contribution, actual B-sides, digital B-sides. We're just going to do them all as non-album tracks from now on. So that's what we're doing.
1: Okay, so for all of you that have heard our B-sides episodes, which I'm sure all of you have, and if you haven't, go check them out. Go dig deep into the Peach and Black podcast catalogue out there online and listen to those shows. But if you're already familiar with those, basically what we did on those shows is we all chose a few B-sides that we were really fond of, and we're doing the same thing today. These are one-off tracks that we've selected to talk about. Let's get straight into things. This is the Peach and Black Podcast's one-off Prince Tracks episode, if you want to call it that. Let's just take it straight from the top. I'll throw this one to myself. Song number one is P-Funk.
2: When I looked this up on Prince Vault, it was just listed as F-U-N-K. I think the P at the start came in because he put it on that PFU website. Hmm. So whether it's P-Funk or it's just F-U-N-K, I don't know.
3: So basically, its first technical release was when he sent it to the people who ran the Housequake website. And at that time, some of them had put up a protest site called PFU.
2: Prince Fans United.
3: Prince Fans United, and the song was sent to them by Prince under the title P-F-U-N-K, so P-Funk. A few days or maybe a week later from memory, Prince released it himself on one of his own sites just under the title F.U.N.K. So technically its first name was P-Funk, but, I mean, I think the song is actually called Funk.
1: (laughs) And it's spelt utilising, it's not just Funk, it's F.U.N.K. Anyway, (laughs) I guess I chose this song... Because uh, of two reasons. One, I think it's just a really unique, it's got a really unique history in the fan community. I couldn't think of too many other one-off songs that Prince recorded almost specifically, seemingly as a response to what was going on in the fan community at the time. There may be other examples, but this is one of those songs where that I think of when I think, you know, did Prince ever directly talk to us? Did he talk to the Prince fan community? And did he talk to specific uh, people? Wrong. <laughs> bum, bum. <laughs> Correct me. Correct me where
0: I'm wrong. The way it was touted when he released it was it came out like, a day or two after the PFU website went up and he made out that he created this whole song in that day or two, but it's a song pulled out of the vault and just updated.
3: When you say that, I've heard that, I've never bought it though. What era of the vault are we talking about? When do you think it was recorded?
0: Well, according to Prince Vault, it's dated 2003 to 2004, but I agree with you. Why would you put life at the party on musicology and put this in the vault? <laughs>
1: if it was from that era that's a very good point Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although there, are, I mean, why would you put the morning after on a certain version of Lotus Flower when you potentially had better songs that you recorded with Michael B and Sunny T? <laughs> I've got, got I've got
2: stuff to say about this, but wait, I'll wait till it's my turn. The so, other thing
1: is, it's I don't buy it because I don't
0: think he came up with a complex song or a song as complex as this within a day. It's just too good to be knocked out in in like a day.
3: I think if it was anyone else other than Prince, I'd be that would be my
1: thought. But we know what he's <laughs> capable of, so you never know. my impression of this song is now being, in some ways, slightly adjusted based on what Player said because I really wasn't aware that it was possibly, because obviously we don't have confirmation, but that it was possibly done, what, three or four years before it was released. But even if that's the case, it seems incredibly, like it is a direct response to what the PFU fan site was doing at the time. So let's be clear here without spending an entire evening talking about the context. I think it's worthwhile saying that regardless of when this was recorded, it is at the time that it was released. I think it was one of the best things he had done in a really long time. I'm not including the album 3121 because I've always been a big fan of that, but just in general, I think it was some of the strongest music he had recorded in years. Um, even though there seems to be some conjecture about exactly when he did that. But this is like, it just sounds fresh even today, you know, over 10 years since it was released on iTunes, let's say, as a single. It just sounds really, really full, really awesome. The the mood is great. It's just this great piece of purple funk rock, which is what the way I would describe this song to anyone, it goes through so many changes. And I've used this word before over the years on the on our podcast. It's like a kaleidoscope of funk, but it's a little bit more than that. He stretches, he kind of gets out of that lane and he plays a little bit with Latin rhythms and he plays a little bit with hard rock. And I guess Minneapolis sound to a large degree as well, because there's a lot of pitch correction on vocals and on other instruments The horns come in as well, but then there's synths. So this is like a, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, kaleidoscope is one way to describe it. But the other way I would describe it before I hand this over to everyone else for some thoughts is like what would happen if you literally physically took Prince and you just kind of locked him away in a studio for a day. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if he had so many ideas in one 24-hour period that he just came up with all of this all on his own. This is the kind of thing that I think just represents what he's about. And aside from the horns and some background vocals and clearly Renato on some really, really sinewy, high-pitched keyboard sounds, Prince is pretty much doing everything else on here. It's all bass, drums, and guitar by the genius funk musician from Minneapolis himself. So... I love this. It's high energy and tongue firmly in cheek with Prince kind of with one hand <laughs> kind of giving his fan community like this finger in a way, but it's done in a with, with some humor and good taste. And it's like this weird, weird, weird response to what princefansunited.com was doing. And if you're not aware of them, go look them up online. Okay, Captain, what are your thoughts on this one? Okay, back to what Player said before, I just love the whole maintaining
2: the genius legacy story of the recording of this track. Like Player said, supposedly, you know, we were made to think he wrote and recorded this in a day or two. Well, sort of. Technically... Yes, he rewrote new lyrics and re-recorded it, but the track itself was a few years old. Some engineer from around Musicology time said he remembers that track. Now, this is I've brought this sort of stuff up before. It's got to maintain that, you know, one song a day, genius mythology, when in reality it was just sitting in the vault. There's so many songs in there we haven't heard. He could easily pull out literally anything and just do a few touch-ups and have a track out in a couple of days and we would never know. And he'd be like, oh, I did this last night. Stayed in the studio all night, here you go and we don't have a clue. Anyway, the song itself is pretty funky. It is a surprising track to even come out of, you know, 2003, 2004, because it's, again, compared to like Life of the Party, which he did put on an album. Come on. But it's it's got such a 1987 feel for me, like obviously updated though, from the Camille-esque voice. That's got an almost black album vibe to me. And not surprisingly, the black album was allegedly written in response to critics who said, you know, he couldn't write funky tracks anymore or something. And this track was put out under a similar situation. He was under fire from fans for various reasons. And this was his comeback. And I remember a bunch of us saying at the time, if this is the sort of music he makes when he's pissed off, then we should piss him off all the time. (laughs) Because like you said, this was the best track he'd put out in years. Mm. And, you know, it might not be the grand progression, but it sure is funky. Now, there's... (laughs) two annoying things in this track one is that siren sort of thing which is in the chorus but then i listen to it and without that in the chorus it's pretty bare bones there's just that guitar riff and not much else in the chorus and of course the other thing is that bloody latin outro and um which i'm probably i don't know am i known for not liking that
3: when i heard this today listening back i thought captain's not gonna like this but then i thought (laughs) but the whole point of this it's a comedic part that mm. song at the end it's like you know he's walking away all yeah. kind of overconfident but there's like it's almost like he's drunk kind of thing i thought you don't like the latin outros but in the context of this song i think it's really good it's funny
2: it does fit but in some ways this song being an an actual f you to the fans so's that latin outro that's how i see it <laughs> <laughs> and the line which player said at the start don't you all ever mess with me no more that really annoyed people but um mm-hmm. anyway it's a good track good
1: choice there just quickly on on what you just said, Captain, uh, partially what Tojan was talking about. I I thought you would actually like this, not because of the Latin outro music per se, but just his attitude and his high-pitched vocal ridiculousness with some of the things that he's saying. It's like, I was thinking, Captain's going to like this kind of weird voice right in that last minute bit.
2: You know, this song wouldn't seem that out of place in 1987. Mm. You know, it's been updated. There's some new sounding things on it, but it's got that vibe, which I really like. It's a good song.
1: There you go. All right. All right. Next up, player. What do you think about FUNK?
0: I love this track. When I think of PFU, I think of it standing for positive FU. <laughs> like it's a it's a FU song to, the, or to whoever, I guess the fans, but it's done in a positive way. And I think in normal circumstances, when – Prince was in a like a pissed off mood you get like the angry kick-ass Prince and he is kick-ass on this track but it's it's more it's not even like he's bitter it's it's almost like you know and I just remember when that song came out like all the fans were kind of like it was kind of like a real low point it was it's very much the fans and Prince kind of standoffish with each other and um, I just remember when this song came out, all the fans lost it. Like they just thought this is like the best song that's ever been released in like it really years.
3: split the community because <laughs> everyone was kind of pissed off. But then it's like, damn, that's funky. <laughs> it's
0: good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I like this track. It's a feast for the years. There's so many changes through it. It's rocking and driving and cool and funky all at the same time. The most notable thing is the Camille voice is back. It opens up with that rock and distorted wah-wah guitar riff. Those rim clicks on the snare is super funky. It's, you know, very different for a print song. The horns are absolutely oozing through it. Renato's working that Red Nord synth. The break around 3 minutes 25, where he says, now guitar, now guitar. It sounds straight out of Play in the Sunshine, like hmm. same boss drum machine preset break used with the beats and the hand claps. Some cool lines, you might not like the taste, but I'm still going to stick your face in this funk. It's kind of like when a dog shits somewhere and you rub his nose in it, you know. Mm. It's the same (laughs) (laughs) kind. And then I I like the each breakdown of each instrument. You know, the ho-hum, listen to my drum and your face, um, listen to my bass and we are listen to my guitar. I reckon that's really cool. The music's always changing, making it a journey and pleasure to listen to. And then you have Captain's Favourite, the Latin outro. And my opening comment about I love y'all, Don't mess with me no more. I reckon that out of everything is like the direct message to the fans. Like if this is a vault track, that was definitely added. And yeah, the other line that Captain mentioned about, you know, it might not be the grand progression, but it sure is funky. So I think that's another interesting inclusion into the song. But yeah, out of all these one-off tracks that he's released, this is like one of the top ones that I, I really, really like. This should have made it onto an album.
1: Yeah, and it's when I hear you say, well, at the beginning, when you started talking about PFU kind of stance, in your mind, stands for like a positive FU. It's It reminds me of how ironic it was at the time and still is today to think about the fact that Prince either recorded or re-recorded this song, updated the lyrics, and then initially released it on the website of fans, the very fans that were allegedly upset and frustrated with things that he was doing. So it's like, it's just weird. It's like he gives with one hand, but then you listen to the song and he kind of takes away with the other. So it's really, really funny from that perspective. And it's very, very ironic that he should be releasing that. It's just, in, in a way, it's genius because you're going straight to the heart of the matter. These, these fans that are bubbling over with anger. But, and you, so, so what do you do? Like you send them some music. <laughs> so it's genius because they would have to listen to it and then when they listen to it it's hard not to bob your head to this because it's so darn funky and just before we go to toe jam i kind of wonder whether or not band members now when they look back on their experience at prince do they see some correlation between what we're talking about between the prince fan community and prince and maybe what it was like being in a band with him or collaborating with him and jamming with him as. As a musician, and what I mean by that is, was the music so bloody funky, and was he just so freaking talented that even when he might have frustrated you, whether you were a band member or a producer or engineer—well, not producer because he never really had a producer—did you just kind of take that because God, the music was incredible? I just wonder about that sometimes. But let's take it, uh, pass it over to Toe Jam. The baton is yours. Well, it might not be the grand
3: progression, but. Uh... <laughs> All right, I'm in total agreement. I think this is probably one of the top five tracks of the 2000s. You're talking about, yeah, I think so. If you think about best songs of the 2000s, it's hard to not think about this one, I think. Um, If we were talking earlier about if this was potentially recorded around the musicology era i mean in terms of the why that maybe didn't make it onto the musicology album it could be that you know the songs on the musicology album and even 3121 were kind of more in a more of a commercial mold whereas this is more of a uh something for the fans something mm. a bit more obscure I, I don't know about that though to me when i hear this the sound of it i hear the deliverance ep and i hear songs like the you know the dollar sign song from which came up on lotus flower that's the kind of song sound i hear i mean I don't know who's playing on drums on this, but in my head, it's always Cora playing drums. It doesn't sound like Blackwell to me. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of not sold on that 2003 but, recording thing.
1: But ToeJam, he could have just recorded like a funk track or like a oh, jam yeah. or some ideas, right, and then like a few years later just re-recorded those parts, right?
3: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it could be that he's, you know, recorded a two or three-minute demo and then he's given it to the band and said, right, let's turn this, let's let's just out, and then they've recorded it.
1: Storage House of Ideas. Yeah, (laughs) that's it. That's exactly what it is. He may not even have had any lyrics or vocals back then. Mm. It could have just been an instrumental. And then he's like, okay, I need a really funky instrumental to come back at these fans with. And then he just pulls this out, re-records parts of it, and then sings sings lines that are current at the time maybe who knows
3: all right so i want to get to the, the music specifically now and that is um the verse the melody of the verse is very similar to nasty girl you know and then a dun, 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 dun. it's 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 very nasty girl that melody when you hear it and you compare them you're like oh wow he just ripped off the melody from nasty girl chucked it in there How um, dang. <laughs> i love the bass and the guitar in the verses just doing this real tight dun, 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 dun. so tight in the background there really cool I love all the pitch-fixing stuff, like on his vocals, obviously, but even in the verses and pretty much through the whole song, he, like, just plucks this note on the guitar and, it, and then he bends it and it's just, like, sounds like this
0: meh.
3: It's just such a cool sound. In the, uh, the bass line, it's often got this flat 3-2, two, flat 2-1 two, that's kind of just chromatic descending down to 1, which he actually did in a lot of songs around this era. So I think it's in guitar and I think it might be in Love. A few other songs around that era have this kind of similar little rundown that he does. Uh, kind of like quarterly. Uh, I love the two guitar solos in this. The, the, both of them are really focused and really clear and they sound great. And I love the way he mixes them up in the speakers and everything. And I love that tight stop at 2.32 where the band stops and the guitar is just doing this. That's really cool. That's the best I can imitate it. Lyrically, I mean, there's some really fu lyrics in here. You know, it might not be the grand progression. The only reason you say my name is to get your 50 secs of fame which I swear he says seconds, like sex, instead of, you know, everyone thinks 15 minutes of fame. But anyway, Player said the best one. Might not like the taste, but I'm still going to stick your face in this funk. That's so cool. Shelby J's in there. Now that's funky. You know, so by this stage, she's really kind of made herself a staple in the band, and her voice is becoming more present in songs. I love the band feature thing, you know, Guitar Man, the bass, the keys. This song has always kind of reminded me of Crystal Ball, not in terms of the song but in terms of the structure of it in terms of it's quite long it goes through different phases it's got that slightly comedic element about it where he's hey here's the band you know i'm in this dark funk song but hey let's feature the band like and it's obviously it's prince playing a lot of those parts anyway so that's really cool
1: I just quickly uh, I cannot believe I never made that connection between the similarities between this and Crystal yeah. Ball. That's just as as someone who we who we know, a bit of a headbuster, that one. I mean they're totally different songs,
3: but you can tell they're from the same brain, I think. Mm. One second, I'm just getting a chocolate cake delivery. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's staying in the show big time. <laughs> I just want our listeners to know that everyone on this podcast gets treated well, fairly. (laughs) We are well fed and we uh, we do hydrate ourselves.
0: Now stick your face in that cake. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I just wanted to add, for all these tracks that we're doing, when we did the B-side shows, we said what they were the B-side of. Because these were just one-off tracks, I've just got the dates they were released. So I'm just going to say the 8th of November, 2007, and we're done. Okay. (laughs) Cool. Okay, so
3: my favourite part in the whole song starts at about 4.50 and it goes for about a minute and that is the guitar. At this By this point, you know, the song's going into overdrive, the ride cymbal's coming down, they're jamming out and the guitar is just playing this two-note bend. Like it starts on one note and then it bends down. <laughs> does it again then it goes up and it just keeps going up and up and up and up and it's like two guitar notes he's, he's obviously overdubbed it there's two parts going on and that part is just really cool the way it builds it's almost like a you know a hungry beast going feed me feed me feed me and it's just going crazy that's the really cool part and then at the end of all that you get these funky horns over the top of one of those sailing guitar notes really cool big breakdown line whole band's going yeah, that's over that cool point. that's
1: really yeah, cool I mean,
3: it's got everything the song hasn't it and then the latin outro the latin outro is hilarious <laughs> I think. the acoustic piano that rim clicks just going click 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 all the way through it and then um some of his lyrics in that part are really funny you know there's a little bit of a Jehovah's witness reference in there like you know the world that is passing away and And um, basketball fans will get this one where he says, I'm out like the Wolves in the first. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyone who knows the NBA, at that time, the Timberwolves were notorious for making the playoffs and then getting, you know, bungled out in the – this is the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, Prince's team, getting bungled out in the first round. So uh, it's a funny basketball reference in there. So, like, it is very, very 1987. It could very easily have come from that part of his brain, you know, Black Album, Sign of the Times, Crystal Ball – Uh, You know, it's just him coming back and doing that sound again. And I think this is a really great track. And he started playing it live, you know, the last, I don't know, three, four, five years of his career, he started playing this one. Uh, I would have loved to have seen it.
1: As far as I know, he never did like a full seven or eight minute version. I could be wrong, but I wasn't, I'm not aware of that. But luckily, because I was in Switzerland in 2013, he did, he did like a, maybe a one and a half minute section of this. And then they went into another song. So yeah, I would have loved to have actually heard and experienced this song live in its full form. But unfortunately, I never did. And I don't think, uh, I don't think it it ever happened. So here's something Mm -hmm. for you. Like, we
2: don't know how much of this came because of this PFU situation or what was on the track if it came from the vault. But if it came from the vault, what happened in like late 2003, early 2004 to make him go back and do this 87 sound that's the interesting thing to me you know he's all about going forward and doing new stuff and then all of a sudden around that two thousand and three four, he's like i'm gonna go back and do this sound that's weird to me well i mean he had a few years there you know doing the the, uh, he he went through that kind of
3: jazzy phase one night alone expectation news Mm. and even musicology is is a pop album really i mean and this is pretty funky for this that era yeah
2: yeah this is Mm. so far removed from anything on musicology it's just weird that this you know whether it came from 2007 or it came from 2003 what made him go back to this sound that's the
1: question for me well you know you prompted me to think about something else captain which is This was kind of around the time between somewhere between 2003 and 2005 when he recorded a lot of material and a lot of instrumental jams, allegedly with Michael B and Sonny T. Now, some of that stuff came out on the album 3121. Some of it came out on Lotus Flower. So I wonder, you know, if this was one of those jams and I wouldn't be surprised to hear this song on a 3121 album or the, the Lotus Flower album, really. I mean, maybe if the lyrics weren't as specific to, you know, mm. pointing his finger back at the Prince fan community, I think, you know, that kind kind of dates this song in a way. Because the music that, is yeah, pretty fresh. That
2: 3121 album has got that sort of heavy, dirty sound and so does this track.
1: Mm. Yeah. The other thing I was going to ask everyone here, when, when Tojem said the, the Latin outro, I was going to say, Does everyone, when they hear that Latin outro, immediately think of the song, Get on the Boat? It just reminds me of every Latin outro that he's done. (laughs) It reminds you of every time Renato's behind the keys.
3: The the acoustic piano works really nice in that part, though. Some really cool stuff going on.
1: Okay, as usual, way too long in the first track. Let's go. (laughs) Very good. Okay, next song. I'm going to hand this over to the player himself to introduce it.
0: What did you choose, player? So, for this one, I decided to pick a song that Prince actually doesn't, I was going to say doesn't sing on, but I think he's doing a lot of the background vocals. It's from a soundtrack, and I am talking of Superhero, superhero. 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 which featured on. Blank Man soundtrack, credit to New Power Generation. There was a video featuring the Steels in the MPG, but no prints in it. But that's the, the next song.
1: Okay, so Superhero. Wow,
0: that's gone way back. Captain, do you have a release date?
2: Okay, this was a song he gave to Earthwind & Fire. It came out on their album first. Correct. I think in 93, but Correct. the MPG and the Steels released it 9th of August, 1994 on the Blank Man soundtrack.
0: There you go. So naturally, I'm going to compare this to the 1993 version by Earth, Wind & Fire from their Millennium album. The basic tracking is the same of both songs, but the Earth, Wind & Fire version has a stack layer of horns and a blistering guitar solo that's missing on this version, which I'm assuming is Prince on the Earth, Wind & Fire album. I'm not sure how much Earth, Wind & Fire contributed to the, the music other than the singing on that track. But in contrast, this version released by the MPG is um, stripped back in comparison. This It doesn't have those horns or not as prominent. And um, that guitar solo is missing That's uh, from it. The Steel's vocals are very close to Earth, Wind and & Fire's. And you've got Prince in the background, but the vocal's very low in the mix. The highlight on this version is the bass for me on this one. Like, it's got this wet effect on it. It's so damn dirty. It's sunny tea, and It's just like, <laughs> like... In between each verse, you just hear this. It's just (laughs) really cool. Yeah, it's just really, it just adds so much funk into the song. It's great. I think it's interesting that they would resurrect this a couple of years later for Blank band soundtrack. I mean, it was given to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Usually when Prince gives a track, that's it, like he moves on. It's kind of interesting that, you know, he took it back and got them to do the vocal and 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 do it as a – because, you know, he's making music all the time. He could have easily given Blank Man a – I mean, but a Blank Man is a technically a superhero movie. If you've seen the, the movie, it's a comedy movie with Damon Wayans. But maybe that's what it is. Maybe it was the theme of it. He's like, oh, you know, I've got a track, you know, kind of thing. And I've got the City single. There's some great remixes on it. There's
1: about four or five different mixes. Um, I like this song. It's pretty cool. All right, all right. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on Superhero? Uh,
3: I haven't got a lot to say about this one. It, the beat reminds me, I, the moment I hear it, I just think 91, 92 MPG. Um, and I think by the time this came out, like 93, 94, I think Prince himself had kind of moved on from that particular sound. I think he was starting to get more into like the acoustic drums sort of sound rather than this really metallic kind of industrial kind of sound. I agree with Player. The bass is really cool, really bubbly. Sunny T kills it. Um, the moment you hear it, you just think, this is, you know, early 90s MPG. That little three-note repetitive hook thing, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. I mean, it's kind of interesting notes, flat six, major six, minor thirds, kind of out there, but it, it's not very, like, attractive either. It's kind of just these three notes that just keep happening. The big Prince bit for me is the, the the big layered vocal part, you know, give us what you give our brothers. And it's clearly Prince singing that part, I think, and it's very layered, harmonic minor. Again, it's very uh, like Thunder, Seven esque. Those songs, again, it's that same year. It's it's like 91. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this was recorded in 91. We've got these semi quaver things happening all the way through, these in the background. I just kind of find the steel. Like the Steels are a great backing quartet, I guess. Uh, you know, vocal quartet, harmonies, really good. I just find the the lead vocal in this kind of uninspiring. It's not really... I don't think the singer has much to work with either. The melody is pretty boring. It's just one note. No, 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 And I just think it doesn't do anything for me. It just sounds like a really kind of uninspired vocal. And that's both melodically and performance-wise. So, I mean, I don't listen to their song very often, I do remember, I haven't listened to the Earth, Wind & Fire version for a while, but I do remember there are some horns on that. I'd be interested to go back and listening to that, and especially now that players said that there's another guitar solo. So I, I, I want to go back and listen to that, because I think that could spice the song up a bit. But yeah, I mean, there's some cool moments in it, but in, a, in the overall plethora of early 90s MPG,
1: this is pretty forgettable. Okay. Captain, give us your take.
2: Okay. So even though we don't have Prince on lead vocals, we have all the steals and MPG, doing all the music, Michael B on drums, Sonny T on bass, Tommy Barbarella, Morris Hayes on the keyboards. So already it's good with that, just with that, the band that I've got there. But the thing for me is this version of it is missing some of my favorite parts from the actual NPG version, which I don't think ever turned up anywhere. It's got some great vocal arrangements and also segues into Outer Space by Billy Preston and it's funky as anything. And, and that stuff that's the highlight of the track for me and on this it's just not there most likely for licensing reasons i'm guessing out of space isn't on here
0: that's true yeah that that part is really good
2: that's my favorite part of the song so this version as it is is just uh it's a pretty forgettable track like when i listen to it when i listen to this version of it or any of the remixes all i can think of is the parts that aren't there <laughs> as it is it's okay like toe jam said um It looks like this was recorded like uh, mid to late '92, so it's um yeah, it's still it's got those sounds. And I never grab this CD single and go, "Oh, I need to hear the in the house mix of Superhero."
1: (laughs) So yeah, yeah. If anything that says "in the house" (laughs) dates dates any piece of music to about the early '90s, I would say silky smooth something. Yes, (laughs) Shock G remix. Man, when I think of this song. It's not memorable. So I agree with Captain. There's not a whole lot going on in much of it, especially the vocal line. So I agree with Toe Jam. But the person I agree with the most is Player because that bass programming and that and all that kind of stuff, that wet thing he was talking about, don't take that out of context, is freaking just funky. And this is the thing. Another reason, as if we didn't have enough reasons why we all love Prince's music so much, is that he has this ability to put a piece of music together that isn't necessarily revolutionary or incredibly amazing. But you just take the bass programming off this and the keyboard work, and that alone has just it's just got the the touch of a truly funky man. <laughs> so, that's why I like listening to this sort of stuff. Now, I agree. I don't reach for this. I very rarely listen to it. But listening to it in the lead up to our review show, I'll I'll say I don't love it. But at the same time, I have to like be in awe of how many times he put some funky ass sounds on his records, you know, even like a single like this, a a one off track that possibly many hardcore Prince fans aren't even overly familiar with has some really really funky moments and it's so rubbery like it's wet and it's rubbery and it's got some kind of arpeggio like playing on the keys that that are are really cool so that's why i like it i like this as a one-off track because if it comes on i'm dancing i'm dancing baby i'm not a dancing man but i'm dancing to this so (laughs) he's a dancing machine (laughs) Frank Zappa and Jackson Five mixed together. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that before.
2: <laughs> like Toe said, the Steals' vocals weren't very. I can't remember the word you use, like passionate or something. And like they're great as a. I'm just. I'm vocal talking about the,
3: the verse. Yeah, I'm talking about the verse, yeah. not not their harmonies and stuff.
2: Yeah. Mm, their harmonies are great as a vocal group. They're great, but when they're doing you know just solo things like in the verse, there's there's nothing there. They're just mm. singing. They're just doing their job. It's when <laughs> they do their harmonies and stuff that they you're like, wow, these guys are great. But mm. just as normal singers, there's not that much that you're like, oh, wow, he's a great singer. Anyway.
1: But they are, you're right, they are good. I mean, they're, they're gospel infused in a lot of the stuff they, they normally do. I'll just say, I think we kind of alluded to this before. I mean, my,
3: my suspicion is, is that this song was re- you know, the idea of it, the lyrics were and everything were recorded before the Blankman uh, movie was even announced or anything. And then when the Blankman movie came out,
1: Prince is like, hey, I've got a song that would fit that perfectly. Here you go. Yeah, I agree. Just for completest sake, has anyone seen the movie Blankman? No. I'm sure Player has. No, I haven't actually. Oh. Okay. Come on, you went and saw
2: um bloody showgirls, but you didn't see this? No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's a reason he went to see showgirls and not see this. There's a very good reason. Good Prince music. (laughs) (laughs) The reason starts with the name Elizabeth and it ends with Berkeley. What? Okay, let's keep going. It is rated on IMDb as a modest 4.9 out of 10 with over 7,000 reviews. So, uh, for all of you crazy movie lovers out there, check that one out. (laughs) Remember to bring a parent because it's PG-13.
3: I reckon 3,000 of those 7,000 were people that watched it. Primarily just to hear the Prince song. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Oh, God, that's funny. Okay, next song is going to be introduced to us by a man on this show. His name is Captain. He's a funky man.
2: (laughs) He's a funky man.
1: Okay, 4th of
2: May, 2004, there was an album released, which was a bunch of covers of Jimi Hendrix songs. Prince covered a song which originally was called Red House, and because he likes purple. He called it Purple House. <laughs>
1: I'll
2: go first, because I picked You it. go first. So... Classic blues track, Red House from Jimi Hendrix. Of course, Prince had to change the lyrics to Purple from Red because he likes Purple.
0: Uh, I thought you were going to say because he likes changing song titles like The Cross and The Christ.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's funny that you say that, yes. player, because he was doing that around this time as well, so that's interesting. <laughs>
2: so there are some very nice princely backing vocals on this track. There's beautiful guitar thing at one oh six. It's just a really nice little, little thing. It's hard to find anything I don't like in this track, apart from Toe Jam's got to hate this. There's these really annoying, totally fake-sounding synth horns <laughs> near the start of the track. They're horrible, and they just on an otherwise very acoustic sort of sounding song with real instruments. You've got these horrible synthy horns. Ah, uh, anyway. <laughs> Larry Graham on the bass. Oh but yeah, but playing a very standard, you know, bassline. You know, he could have slapped it up a bit, but he just played it straight, which was fine. Great guitar solo starts at 202, and what a note to start that solo One, it just screams. Mm. It just kills you. It's so good. There's a really buried synth part, 234 to 245. It's only in the left channel, or maybe if you've got the headphones in the wrong way, it's in the right. But it's just this little synthy stuff. Listen for that. And I heard a few synth sounds on this, which... Ended up straight on um the Rainbow Children, and as if you as soon as you hear it, you'll know what they are. This came out later, so they were on Rainbow Children first. Okay, there we go.
1: And well, it came out. It was released later on the Power of Soul compilation, but allegedly this song was recorded in the late nineties.
2: Well, he recorded. He'd played it live as Purple House. Like every year or two, he'd play it. So so the, the
3: the Rave 2000 concert is obviously the end of the year 99 and he's calling it Purple House in that one. And I, would, I, I my guess is that this recording was recorded around the same time as that. Because it's like Larry's playing the same bass line. It's very similar to that rendition, just a bit slower.
0: Anyway,
2: this was recorded, this studio version was recorded in 1999. So actually, yeah, the synth sounds which ended up on the Rainbow Children were here first and then went on Rainbow Children. As soon as you listen to the track, you... You know what those sounds are. And um, guitar, there's some great double guitar parts, 305 to 318. I mean, there's not that much to say, really. It doesn't have all the the bells and whistles of your usual Prince track. It sounds like a pretty bare bones recording. Prince Larry, most likely Kirk on drums or a drum machine.
1: So Larry is on bass, but Prince is on everything else. Drum machine, then. It's a combination of drum machine and actual drums. Oh. He does both. He plays acoustic drums and he does drum production.
2: Oh, it's a drum machine. And I it's real drums. Anyway. <laughs> no
1: way it's a drum machine. They're, they're clearly real drums.
2: There's Prince. There's Larry. There's somebody doing drums. His name is Prince Rogers Nelson. I reckon it could be Kirk. You can't trust the lyric book. There's a few vocal and synth overdubs and that's about it. But it's still great bluesy track. If anyone's going to make a... a Prince Blues compilation, this song has to be on there. The end.
1: All right. Player, what are your thoughts on
0: Purple House? Uh, You guys pretty much covered all of it. For something that's recorded in 1999, it sounds very organic to my ears. It doesn't have that 1999. When I say 1999, I mean the year, not the album. It doesn't have that Kirky J, Hans Martin Buff, engineered production. It sounds very like, yeah, it's more leaning into the Rainbow Children kind of stuff. It's it's just straight blues, Jimi Hendrix cover. That guitar solo that Captain was referencing earlier, that is blistering. That is the dirty sound that I want to hear on studio recordings. The, all the ones that he held back on. I think we, we mentioned this on another love on Plectrum Electrum Review, where he sort of sort of goes for broke on the guitar solo. Whereas all the other albums where he kind of holds back on the guitar and like lets loose on the live version, like it's it's really blistering on this. And the screams from Prince are great. I think I prefer this to the rave version though, the the rave into the year 2000 version. I think I like this better, which is weird because like usually the live versions trump everything, but I kind of like it the other way around with this one.
1: Well, the guitar solo on that live version is longer and probably more ridiculous, but it's different. That's it from me. Okay. Uh, toe Jam,
3: you guys have covered it. Um I'm split between whether I like this one or the Rave Unto version. The Rave Unto version is is the highlight one of the highlights of that whole show and he does stretch it out a bit more. This this version's a little bit fast. I think I prefer the speed of the the Rave concert one because you know the song is a melancholy song. It's about rocking up home and his girl's gone kind of thing or you know she's not letting him in. And this one's a bit fast and and he doesn't sing it with the same kind of sad emotion that I think he pulls off in the concert. But then having said that, I think the guitar solo and things here are, are executed a bit better. It is kind of rare to hear Prince release like just a straight blues, you know, studio recording. I mean, live he'd do this all the time, this kind of stuff all the time, but, you know, he would rarely put that out as a studio track. But on a Jimi Hendrix thing, it's kind of appropriate. Some really cool backing vocal stuff super high note that it starts the solo with great screams after the solo it is really interesting when captain said this to think that this particular recording is the rainbow children before the rainbow children because you know you think 90 from emancipation new power soul rave you know they're very often described as plastic and digital and you know um, drum machines And, and this is very organic and then that's the sound that people really loved when the rainbow children album came out so and the only thing that prevented people from hearing that earlier was that this wasn't released until 2004. So I remember there was a lot of um, this tribute album was held up for so long. I remember there was talk about it for like at least a few years beforehand. Oh, that it's coming out this year. And then every time it would be delayed again, it would be delayed again because there was probably some issues going on with the Jimi Hendrix estate or something. I don't know. But uh, I do remember there was talk about this song coming out for years and it it took till 2004 for it to finally come out.
0: What issues with an estate?
3: That's unheard of. Who would have Who would have thought? You know, you know that's coming. Like all that same shit is coming. It's it's already there, isn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't have much more to say about it. It's a really cool. It's just a good. It's good to have a a straight studio recording of Prince just nailing a blues.
1: Everyone has said everything there is to say about this. There's not much else I can add, other than I do like it, and that's about it. <laughs> that was boring. Uh, look, I like this song. I like both versions, of the studio and the live version. I think they are different. The live version, he does stretch out. It's more of a showcase for his extended guitar soloing because this song is short. It's obviously shorter, the studio version, than the live song. But I don't really get this whole move to Rainbow Children starting with this song or around this time based on what we're hearing here. I just think that he's covering Red House by Jimi Hendrix. It's pretty much the only way you can do it. You can give it a straight-ahead reading, Play it predominantly with live instrumentation, which is what he's done. And that's it. Like, I was never expecting him to do Purple House as a cover of the song Red House with drum machines and Minneapolis sound synths or horns, you know, dominating the sound. I think he can't really do that. But that's what he did. <laughs> Not really, though.
2: It's got the horrible synths and it's got plastic sounding drums. Yeah, it's got drum machines. I guess, yeah. guess they right dominate, a... but they're there.
1: Yeah, I guess you're right in a sense, like they are there. They are there. But it's equally as live sounding as it is digital. Maybe even more more acoustic than it is digital. But yeah, that's about it. It's a good song. I'd love to hear Actually, I don't even know if I'd love to hear, but it would be curious to hear what an entire album's worth of this sort of material would sound like. And there was all these rumors back then in the late 90s that Prince had recorded an album of Hendrix covers and I mean if you're gonna do purple house you might as well do another eight or ten songs right if you're already sitting there well, in the studio I mean, and you we've Larry got, to, Graham well,
2: we've got to, yeah oh, i mean already.
3: there's here's a machine gun that came out yep. i think it was titled to bb yep um, oh yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah
3: from right. Music club so i mean they're probably recorded the same day for all i know
1: completely forgot about
3: that
0: and on um oh, what is it Montro spanish castle magic oh yeah
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a live version, but you're right, actually, there could be a studio version hanging around somewhere. Surely there is. Who <laughs> did Villanova Junction? Is that Jimmy? Who's that? Yeah, it's Jimmy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's loads but of them. But again, but yeah, but those are all live versions. Like the question is, is there a studio album? Who knows? There'll so, be yes, Paisley
2: Park rehearsals just like this one.
1: <laughs> we can only hope. So let's keep the show rolling and hand the baton over to ToeJam Jam. To tell us all about his little selection, go. Well, I, I chose this one for a
3: few reasons. One, because the Super Bowl has not been that long ago, and uh, two, I, I figured this would be a controversial item. And um, <laughs> the name of the song is "Purple and Gold."
1: Uh, so mine. <laughs>
3: My notes here say it was recorded on January 17th, 2010, and streamed on the Minnesota Vikings website January 21st, 2010.
2: Correct. Hmm. Uh,
3: okay. Well, am I taking this to start off? I guess I am. This is a hard one to review. This song is quite possibly the maybe tied with Wedding Feast as the cheesiest thing he has ever done. But like Wedding Feast, it's fun. It's funny. It's, uh, it's Prince doing cheesy musical numbers about. You know, an American football team. It's it's hilarious when you think about it that way. It's like you know, you if you think of NFL, you think of you know, masculine guys with massive muscles. Like it's a very masculine sport, and then you get this musical number,
2: High School Musical.
3: <laughs> like, and and you know, often you know, sporting teams, especially like um, you know, people in Victoria will know this. You know, the AFL teams have their their songs, and it's this sporting team chant. But like, this song's a little fruitier than you might. Like the normal the normal um, football anthem.
1: <laughs> Fruit. I love your choice of words, fruitier. Yeah, I'd describe it as fruity. <laughs> Such a polite way of referring to this, fruitier.
3: Okay, the music's actually pretty cool. I mean, it's got a really classic descending chord progression and, and the melody's descending. It's, da, 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 da. it's like, you know, Roman marching or something. But the highlight for me is just all the background stuff the secondary lines that behind the verses, really cool arrangement stuff, some cool chord stuff as well now and then. Like he does a very standard descending chord, but then suddenly there's a, a bit of an odd chord that comes out now and then. I like the way in the second verse, there's this guitar line that um, is a counter melody to the main line. And then in the third verse, he does a lot of pizzicato kind of stuff. There's a like arpeggio pizzicato kind of stuff in the background. Like he's really hamming it up, but doing it in a very good way. A really cool arrangement. I want to talk about the lyrics, and that is. I have a theory about this song. This song is not about the Minnesota Vikings. This song is about the apocalypse. Again, <laughs> Prince's favorite theme. The veil of the sky draws open. The roar of the chariots touch down. You know, we are the we are the one. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses. We are the ones who have now come again to walk upon water like solid ground. So this is um, wow. you know, this is this is the um, the apocalypse moment again. You know, when when Jesus comes crashing through in, in the clouds.
1: And... Wow. As we so, Jim, you this... realize you realize that As... while you while you're telling us <laughs> about this, you may have you may be the first actual human being that has actually either listened <laughs> to or read these letters <laughs> <lines. laughs> Pro- <keeps> properly. <laughs>
3: Uh, as we approach the throne, we won't bow down. This time, we won't be denied. Raise every voice and let it be known in the name of the purple and gold. I mean, if you change that last bit to you know into the name of Jesus, this this is like a, a <laughs> <or something. laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know what seriously, else to say about seriously. The I had
2: no idea. <laughs> out of all the tracks that we're doing, I'm like, I didn't even enter my head that oh, this is this will be the one where Toe Jam says it's about religion. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> out of all nice. the tracks, this is the one that you chose. <laughs>
1: It's like ToeJam. Toe jam's like, sign of the times is about Jesus. If you just change the word <laughs> times to Jesus, it's like sign of the Jesus. <laughs> so, <you know>. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, but um, I hope you can see what I'm saying though. There's very little in there that is specifically about football, except for maybe, towards the end it starts getting, but you know, these opening verses, it's like, you know, this could just be like another Prince apocalypse song which he's known for. The guitar work's just really good. There's some great guitar work. I, I remember hearing this the first time and just being repulsed by it and thinking, what the hell is this nonsense? But um, like most Prince songs, the more you listen to it, you start to hear things and you go, this is actually kind of fun. And it's cool. It's not the kind of thing I'm going to, Hey, I'm, I I need to hear something funky and I'm going to put this on. But like when it does come on, I always end the song like laughing, like this is good. It's funny. It's cheesy. It's, it, it doesn't work as a football anthem. That, that's the funny thing. Like, there are some really terrible lyrics as well. The one that stands out the most is, um, you know, we come in the name of the purple and gold. All the odds are in our favor. You think, okay, fair enough. No prediction too bold. Fair enough. We are the truth if the truth can be told. It's like, what the hell? That that lyric stands out just terribly. It's like he can't help himself. Oh, something about the truth. The truth <laughs> can't help himself. All right, I'm, I'm talking way too long about this song. It's a hard one to review because I don't know what to say. It's just a it's a weird song that sticks out in Prince's canon like nothing else.
2: You got that you got that right. I'm really it's curious to what you guys have to say it. about it.
3: I mean, this song is within the you know people who know this song you say purple and gold and people laugh. Like you can't believe that Prince recorded that song. Like it's the cheesiest thing ever. It's yeah. it's um it has its lo- a life of its own. All right, I'll hand it over to you guys.
1: Captain, what do you think about this?
2: Okay. Not having any idea of what this sort of, you know, this was called a fight song. <laughs> Not having any idea what this sort of fight song is supposed to sound like. All I can say is, I guess for what it is, it does what it's supposed to, but I don't know. I mean, <laughs> well, if is, if like-
0: if turgent is it's fruity, maybe it's like um Fruit Ninja, if it's a fight song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like <laughs> chopping watermelons and stuff.
2: <laughs> but like, this has basically gone down in history as one of the worst tracks he ever wrote or recorded. And, you know, this, I do put it above Wedding Feast though, but I, I I really don't mind it. Like, I like national anthems. I like these sort of patriotic sounding songs and this has that sort of flavor. So I don't hate it. But I think if he only sang it in his normal voice and not the, the weak falsetto, mm. it'd have mm. a totally different vibe. And we'd be saying different things right now.
1: I think you're right.
2: I love the parts at 209 and 240. The bit just before he says in the name of purple and gold, that little downward line is really nice. And he always does it like a weird chord at the end of it. It's really good. But let's just say I'm, I'm not a regular listener. But yeah, <laughs> if, if it ever comes up, I'll just let it play. But yeah, I'm not going to be grabbing this
1: anytime soon. <sighs> Player, what are your thoughts on this? Um, can someone remind
0: me what the uh, release date was of this? January, 2010. What date was it? The release was the 21st, January. Okay, so now I've got a, a reference point of the last time I listened to this song, the 21st, of January, 2010. <laughs> um, oh, God. I remember when this first came out, I thought it was one of those fake Prince tracks, you know, those tracks that where, like, people release and they go, oh, this is on the next Prince album and it turns out to be fake or whatever. I never believed that this was a Prince song. It just, It's just like, there's no way that this is Prince, but it was. And it's very nursery rhyme type of emphatic. That's exactly what Captain said. It's a little ditty you'd expect for a football team. It, it does sound like a football team's traditional club song, but it's bizarre. It's almost on par with Wedding Feasts in the operatic singing front. And, you know, of all the stuff that's supposedly in the vault, and Prince chose to release this. I mean, yeah, okay, if you want to. Re- if you want to write it for the Vikings or whatever, do so. Give it to them. Let them have it. Don't let the rest of the world have it. <laughs> that's, that's my thought.
2: <laughs> but I thought that's what he did. He didn't, like, release this. He gave it to them. This wasn't, like, a single or anything, as far as I remember. He just gave it to them. That's what he did. He wasn't
0: like, this is the next big single. No, no, no. But I remember this being on um, like Entertainment Tonight and E! News as like a story or, oh, you know, Prince writes song for the Minnesota Vikings. Mm. And, you know, like if this song was written before or around the time he did the 2007 Super Bowl, if he did this at a Super Bowl performance, <laughs> there, is no, like, there is no way he would do this. And he knows that like he knows he's smart enough to know that. For a Super Bowl audience, you know, he comes out with the hits, you know, he did Let's Go Crazy, he did Proud Mary, he did, you know, he did all the stuff that's upbeat and stuff. So, you know, when I think of Prince writing a song for a football team, I would think that he would do something like energetic like that. I was not expecting this at all.
3: Just in the context as well, if my memory's correct... Minnesota sporting teams are notorious for not being very good. And I think the Minnesota Vikings, at this point, they were like, they were getting close. They're only a few games away from making the Super Bowl. And I think they didn't that year, but they came close. And I remember uh, there were people joking that I think they might
1: have even lost the next game after Prince came out with this. They did. They I'm did. They, they, they lost the next <laughs> game after this song was released. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Cause an effect. Who I knows? just
3: want to get back to those lyrics again. You know, the veil of the sky draws open. The roar of the chariots touched down. We are the ones who have now come again. You know, this is the resurrection stuff. To walk upon water like solid ground. As we approach the throne, we won't bow down. This is this time we won't be denied. Raise every voice and let it be known. In the name of Jesus. You just you change the last lyric.
1: As in, in the name of Jesus instead of in the name of the purple and gold. Yeah,
3: I mean, this, the song is about, it's it's about, you know, the return of Jesus again. It's what Prince sings about heaps.
0: But if you think of the the um theme of the actual team, it's the Vikings. It's... Yeah, It's got a Viking thing about it. Yeah, towards there, that first. Like chariots. Oh, well, not one. chariots, really. Yeah. Vikings never had chariots, they had like shoes I mean, and stuff. Hagar <laughs> <laughs> hey, the Horrible.
3: Our spirits may be tired, our bodies may be worn. But since this day is our destiny, our history—that's why we must be forever strong, as the wind that blows the Vikings' horn. So it's like the only sort of Viking reference. But then you could think of that like the, you know, the traditional, you know, the trumpets going off and this kind of thing. So
2: please send all your religious complaints to <laughs> Toe Jam on Twitter.
3: I'm just there saying. I'm just saying it. It's in Prince's lyrics all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah. So this is pretty terrible. Hmm. I think that much is clear. But at the same time if he had sung this in his normal register instead of that whiny half-castrato version that is on this song it would have just been a lot more um it would have had more grit and aggression and strength than just kind of everything that you associate with viking I was going to say with the Viking culture and manliness. But this sounds like like a 12-year-old, no, let me tell you, like a 10-year-old boy who hasn't reached puberty yet who is singing a song about his favorite local football team. And um, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And it's hard for me, oh, To Jam, when you introduced this song, you said this is a hard one to review and it's a hard one to talk about. For me, it's really easy to review. This is like a joke. Like this is this to me is like I don't want to overdo it when I say this, but really, what state of mind would you have had to have been in to offer this as a motivational piece of music <laughs> to a team? that you were hoping was going to win their next game. I mean, even being a hardcore Prince fan, if I would have been on the Minnesota Vikings team that year and I had heard this, I probably would have spiraled into a depression rather than being, (laughs) you know, like, like like you know, pushed into some sort of higher... Adrenaline. (laughs) Yeah, like this doesn't adrenalize me at all. (laughs) It's like, what's this is not the song you want to be... I can totally imagine in Prince's
3: head, he's like, I've got this song for the Minnesota Vikings and it's going to be the song that they sing it before every single game. And then, the, you know, I can imagine playing it to the management and then just being like, thanks, Prince.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is that if this song had worked, which it clearly didn't, not only on a purely visceral level, but also if it ha- if they actually had won a few games and made the playoffs and potentially won the Super Bowl, let's say, which was never going to happen either. But if it had... Maybe Prince was thinking, you know, if this song does its job, they'll have no choice but to play it at a bigger event. And then all of a <laughs> sudden, all of those Christian, those highly kind of, you know, the, the ideology in the in the lyrics that Tojan's referring to might gain a bigger uh, audience. And if they don't then it's not a big risk because probably a few people will hear it. But, you know, like, what have I got to lose kind of thing? Maybe that's what he's thinking. It's like an opportunity for him to get his message out there through his favorite sporting team. But he forgot one really, really big uh, factor, which was it needs to be good. Make it good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just make it good. Like when you hear we will rock you at a football stadium, that would have the hairs on the back of your neck standing up, right? But when you hear purple and gold, I mean, man, I would not want to be on that squad after hearing this piece of music. Before you're about to run out onto a f- football field where you're allegedly going to batter and bruise the other team into submission, this ain't happening. This, it's kind this, like, this, know, this was...
3: imagine this like um, this brawl going on in the middle of a stadium, and then over to the side,
1: there's like these you know girls throwing petals or something. It's,
3: it's like something out of Fantasia <laughs> or something.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't know about Purple and Gold, but it is certainly Purple and Bold by Prince to to put this song out. Definitely bold, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, so that's Volume 1 of our non-album tracks, one-off show, whatever you want to call it. Be sure to look out for Volume 2 in the future.
0: And if you haven't already checked us out, you can check us out on Podcast Juice's Prince podcast with Michael Dean. Here's a sample. What is like... So, guys, you guys, you guys interviewed Prince. I was going to say, well, what, what
3: else can you do? But What are some of the uh, things you kind of going forward you guys would uh, love to do with purple and, excuse me, purple and gold?
1: (laughs) Purple and gold? You just can't can't stop thinking about that, can you? What are some of the next,
3: uh, you know, on the horizon things that you would love to do with the peach and black?
1: Oh, well, Mike, we're going to do the purple and gold podcast.
2: (laughs) And you can also catch us on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We're on all those things. Or if you really want, you can send us an email at
0: peachandblackpodcastofficial at gmail.com. So until next time, this is the Peach and Black Podcast signing out. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.